What is good, everybody? Welcome to a special edition Gold Standard Podcast, special edition OG Gold Standard Podcast. I'm Rob Stats Guerrera. He is Levin Black. It is Tuesday. Your calendar is not broken. We are doing a special live show because Levin and I have both finished the Play Callers podcast series from Jordan Rodriguez in The Athletic. And Levin had so many thoughts that he specifically requested a chance to talk about the show. Plus, I've been on vacation, so we didn't have a bully ball today. We didn't have an under review with Vish Kumaran. So here we are live with you tonight. Hello, Levin. Looking a little tan there, Rob. You been on the beach? Yes, I was on the beach in Rhode Island about three hours ago. Just got back from vacation. Wanted to, you know, get back to podcasting. I miss it. I miss everybody. So here we are. I got to say, I'm going to be completely honest here. I'm a little disappointed. There's one person on this network I've never done a show with, never talked to, and that is Vish. Yeah. And he's not here like we had hoped he would be. So, yeah, we were originally going to do like a roundtable kind of thing, but Vish had another uh, thing that popped up. And so, unfortunately, he had to back out, which stinks because I haven't had a chance to do a show with him in like a month, unfortunately. But we'll get that going at some point. Um, also, I have a little special announcement at the end of the show that pertains to no one but me, but I'm excited about it. So I'll tell people about that, too. Mm, third kid on the know. way. Yeah. Oh, God, no, that would be a <laughs> terrifying announcement. Um, first, like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Of course, if you have a comment, throw it up there. We are happy to take it. Uh, this is going to be kind of a free flowing conversation. So I finished it before you did, Levin. You have finished it. What was your biggest takeaway from the Play Callers podcast series? So I, I got to be honest here. The biggest takeaway was personal to me and it caught me off guard. And that's why it ended up being the biggest takeaway because it kind of stopped me in my tracks. And I actually kind of like got a lot. I was listening to it on the on the drive home as well as when I was mowing the day before. But uh, on the drive to work, it kind of the thought struck me and I ended up having to like rewind the next 10 minutes of the show because I realized I was completely tuned out. I was lost in my thoughts. <laughs> And that has to do with Mike McDaniel. So Mike McDaniel, I was struck early listening. He sounded bored. You know yeah. what I mean? He sounded, it almost came off as like, yeah, I'm here. You know, like almost like he's too good for it. And that was my initial take listening to him. But the more I listened to what he had to say, the more he talked. And especially when he started talking about the Super Bowl when they were in Atlanta, and the fact that he was the only one that didn't get noticed. And he said, it's because I knew I had prepared all I could. And basically, he didn't say these exact words, but basically what was going to happen is going to happen. I've done all I can. And that's when it clicked to me and it stopped me and I got distracted for 10 minutes. I realized I think his brain works the same as mine. His speech, <laughs> the reason why it was so like lackadaisical, uh, almost bored, it's because he has zero emotion. And he talked about that throughout the series that he doesn't have that he doesn't get all that emotional during games and things like that. And I've had the same conversations. I've had arguments with bosses because they think me not flipping out during like a big thing going on was me not caring. Whereas it was just I don't get nervous. I don't stress. I don't freak out. I don't have that like emotions just don't go through me the same as a normal person. And it struck me that I think McDaniels is a very, very similar or the same to me. And that, that just stuck with me because I've never heard anybody just talking and in describing things been struck by, oh, that person's mind works like mine. Like, I've never had that thought before. He's the first person. So that kind of stopped me in my tracks. So the full quote from McDaniel, by the way, I summarized a bunch of the quotes from him because he said a lot of stuff during this show. If you go to the site goldstandardniners.com, you can click on it and see all the interesting quotes from Mike McDaniel. The first thing he said is, there's humility that needs to be involved for you to be capable of doing your best, I think. And that's why I don't get nervous in big moments. I don't. It's fun. I know that's different, too. I knew that in 2016 in the Super Bowl. People were hemorrhaging before the game, even on the coaching staff. I was totally fine, but it was because I was prepared for it, and I kind of saw that scope even before I was a play caller. I was being a part of the whole thing. Now, that bugged me a little because, first of all, 
it's easy to not be nervous when you're in the Super Bowl when you're not the dude calling plays. Okay. Like it's a little different when you're the play caller and you're Kyle Shanahan and you're going up against Bill Belichick, the greatest defensive mind maybe ever. And yeah, that's different there. Okay. Like there are two different things. And then he continued to quote, he said, how stupid is it for people to think play callers win and lose games? No, your players win and lose games. Are you the best person to maximize their talents? Hopefully, but this isn't, but isn't that what we were hired to do? That to me tells me he's talking about Kyle Shanahan because number one, he said specifically that there were members of the coaching staff hemorrhaging. And number two, then he's talking about not being nervous about your play calls, winning, losing games because players do. That's Kyle. He's talking about Kyle Shanahan in that spot. Is he not? I, I'm sure Kyle is part of that, but you know, we don't know what McVay thinks. McVay could be, he seems a little more humble than Kyle, but he could think that if I make the right play call, we win this game. You know, he could also think that, you know, Matt LaFleur could also think that, you know, all the other people that was involved in this could think that them and their play calls win the game. I think that's probably a pretty common thought amongst coaches because in order to be a head coach, there's a little bit of arrogance that goes there a little, you know what I mean? It, but Kyle certainly, I think probably the biggest in terms of that, but I do think McDaniels is different when it comes to that. I don't think he gets tied up in the same, in the same way. But I, I know that was a personal take earlier, but it, it was just, it's the first person I've ever had that thought about. So it really did kind of stop me because I've known for a long time that I don't see things the same as a normal person. My brain does not work the same way because I have a complete lack of emotion tied to pretty much everything, which is both a, it's a blessing and a curse depending on the situation. Like it has gotten me, to be misunderstood in a lot of situations. And it's also made it to where like people think I don't care. You know what I mean? Just because I, I don't have emotion. He also, McDaniel also said, I've been training myself forever for a way I can separate myself from the rest. I don't have emotional reactions, not because I'm not feeling emotion, but because I've witnessed how many people it affects, how the disposition and belief of a team can be affected by it. Now, when I said that to Michelle, she pointed out that he does have emotional reactions on the sideline. McDaniel does. It's not like he's walking around like stoic and he never shows emotion. He actually does. It's just maybe not to the effect of some other people that he may have worked with in the past. Look, McDaniels was definitely one of, if not the person that said some of the most controversial things, I think. Oh, yeah, he's got the biggest ego out of all of them, I think. That would be my wife there. Yes. Wet blankets, washboard. The only time Levin freaks out is when there's baby poop and puke everywhere. I'm fine with poop. I do not handle puke well. I'm telling you, I can't do it. Like, <laughs> She's saying this because she just saw in her memories from when our child was a newborn. And I had tied a towel around my face to protect <laughs> myself. Because I do have like a gag reflex. If I smell baby poop that is rancid smelling... But especially puke. My dad's the same way. If I smell puke, I will instantly start projectile vomiting. So when my kid pukes, I hold my breath and I try to get away because I know I'm going to start projectile vomiting if I stay there. I can't do it. The poop, whatever. Like, no problem. I'll deal with that. But something about puke, I nope, nope, nope. I struggle. So We're off I'm to a great start. Thank you. Uh, the person upstairs for distracting us. <laughs> <laughs> to me, when I listened to this, I thought Mike McDaniel's got the biggest ego out of all of them. He at one point called Kyle Shanahan exploitative of him, which I thought was fascinating. He he literally says he became an alcoholic because he didn't feel like he was getting promoted as fast as he should have. Now, he does also later say in the show he realized that he was wrong in thinking that he should have been promoted quicker. But he thinks he's hot stuff and he's, you know, not afraid to show it. And all I kept thinking about after listening to this series is how badly he must have wanted to kill Kyle when they played earlier last year and on the first play of the game the Dolphins throw the 75 yard touchdown and McDaniel's probably on the sideline like yeah what's up it was all me baby and then what happened the 49ers lost their quarterback and Brock Purdy came in and Kyle Shanahan still kicked his ass that has to I bet that stung with McDaniel for the rest of the year <laughs> see I'm not sure that McDaniel's is the most arrogant 
I understand why you would take it that way. And maybe it is true. I don't think we know enough from this show, but I do think he's kind of a brutally honest person. And what he said is true. It's just things that you don't normally hear. So you take it as more ego. Yeah. Coaches get full of themselves and he's calling that out that some coaches make it about themselves. That's 100% true. Hello, Josh McDaniels, for instance, you know, I don't think there's any question. Josh McDaniels goes, well, look at me all the time, you know, and he wants it all about himself. So I, I don't necessarily think that that's his ego saying, how dare they? It's just the truth. So the McDaniels stuff jumped out to me. Uh... He he certainly throw, threw a lot of shade towards Kyle. I think there's 100% no doubt that he felt like Kyle hit him and tried to yes. keep on to him, keep keep him from being known around the league as long as he could by not making on the offensive coordinator. You heard it was only a very small, quick comment in a string of sentences, but he said that's why it was important to get the title offensive play or offensive coordinator. He's mm -hmm. talking about when he got that promotion, which then opened the door to head coaching. Because if you don't have those titles, guess what? Kyle can say no to you getting interviews. He wanted to keep, well, Kyle, first of all, has made no secret of the fact that he hates losing coaches. By the way, right. Shades of Idiocy on my Twitch page says, ego, you mean a branch from the Shanahan tree? It tracks perfectly. Kyle has an ego too, 100,000%. We've known that. I think McDaniel has a bigger ego. Uh, but McDaniel said one of the reasons he wanted to be offensive coordinator is because he got weekly press conferences. And he literally said the sentence, I wasn't going to be the secret anymore, mm -hmm. which is a, that's a telling sentence. And it goes along with him saying, like, yeah, we Kyle Shanahan did exploit me a little bit. And look, he was an offensive coordinator for, you know, a very short amount of time and then became a head coach. So maybe he was right. But I it, just thought... it is surprising that he could hide that long, so to speak, considering he talked about and I didn't know this. This was something that raised my eyebrows. He created like a running game encyclopedia, whatever you want to call it, back in, I think, 2016. And he talked about how another coach called him when, what was it? I think it was like 2018 or something. They're like, Hey, I got this thing. It was when he was in his like uh, exile or whatever you want to call it because of his alcoholism. But he said he got called by a fellow coach who was in college. If I remember correctly saying, Hey, I got this thing. And it says McDaniels on the bottom of it. He's like, yep, that's me. So like that was passed around the league that got to everybody. And they had to know it was him that created it. So how did he remain a secret for as long as he did? in the way that he's putting it. Like, I, I just don't believe that. I think I, I would love to know if there were requests for interviews to McDaniel and Kyle said no, when he still could prior to McDaniel getting the title of offensive coordinator. That's what I was trying to look up afterwards. Cause I know McDaniel obviously interviewed this coaching cycle when he got the right. job with the Dolphins, but I was, I couldn't remember off the top of my head. Like, did he actually interview with other teams and what happened there? And did, did he ultimately not get chosen? Um, but yeah, his conduct throughout the whole thing. And again, if you go to the website, goldstandardniners.com, I pulled out all the quotes for you. It definitely jumped out at me. He thought he was underappreciated. He thought he should have became a head coach sooner. And he thinks he's great. He thinks he has no ego and he thinks it's, you know, he's, he has no ego. He has no emotional reactions. Like he thinks he's the perfect coach. It's like, I, all right. I really do wonder if he has a little bit of resentment because he was kind of not one of the core group because everybody thinks of him as one of the core groups. But in terms of like how buddy, buddy he is, it certainly seems like Matt uh, LaFleur, Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan were like true friends, true melded, hung out when they were all together as coaches was Mike McDaniel part of that, or was he kind of not part of the, we could call it the Cabo Boys type, type of click? You know what I mean? It certainly seems like he wasn't quite the same as them. Didn't relate in the same way. Well, he said when they were all on the staff together that he noticed that McVay and LaFleur were all working the passing game with Kyle, and they all were mm -hmm. trying to get plays into Kyle's game plan. And he said, I didn't want to compete with that. So that's why he became the run game guy, because he said whenever Kyle talked about the run game, he only ever talked to Chris Forster. So McDaniel learned the run game from Forster. So that I thought was really interesting, too. So, like, you know, we all thought all oh, the 49ers running game is going to take such a big hit because Mike McDaniel's leaving. But it's like, well, actually, the guy he learned it from is still there coaching with the 49ers. But, yeah, Mc McDaniel said, what did he say? I think his quote was like, 
I don't like when guys get into a f-ing match for somebody else's affection. And I yeah. wasn't going to do that, even though he was still trying to get Kyle Shanahan's affection. He was just coming at it from the ground. That's why I say like, he says these things and kind of acts like he's above it, but he's not really, or he's not as much. He's as not he- going to kiss ass. There's a, there's a big difference there. Come on. You, you've worked in places. I would bet ESPN is chock full of people competing to get certain people's ears. And Oh yeah. Nose. There are, there's, doing your job extremely well and getting noticed that way. And then there are the people that kiss ass and just tell everybody what they want to hear in order to try to get noticed. And that might be what he's saying. And that's not wrong. Like, yeah, everybody wants to get noticed and move up. That's, that's kind of the point to to being a coach and in general, in your career, you know, you would love to have a national syndicated radio show, right? You would want to move up, but there's a difference between, being somebody who's brown nosing to get there and saying, Hey, look at me, look at me, notice me. And somebody that's just doing their job, but still wanting to get noticed. To me, he seemed like he wanted to go out of his way to say like, Hey, I'm not like these other guys in the Shanahan coaching. I didn't do it the same way. I came at it from the ground game and here's why I'm different. He, Uh, He definitely tried to make the argument that look, I came from the same, group and you still consider me part part of that group but i was different you know they all went this way and i went that way every time right and if you also listen to it mike is the only one that doesn't like kiss the ring of kyle shanahan mcveigh and lafleur talk about repeatedly like hey kyle's the godfather like kyle's a brilliant football Mm -hmm. mind it's unbelievable the way he works the way he grinds all that stuff McDaniel never does that. Yep. Not, well, if he did, I should say they didn't put it in the in the That's thing. True. That's true. Which he he could have, but I thought that was telling too. Like McVeigh and Lafleur have an incredible respect for Kyle, and I think it's because like Kyle hired them. Kyle was you know like Kyle was their boss for a long time. I know he was McDaniel's, but not in the same way. And I think that McDaniel harbors a little bit of resentment. You don't say that someone was exploitative of you without resenting them a little. (laughs) That's certainly true. You know, you mentioned it a little bit and I want to get into it because that's my biggest take outside of the personal one that stopped me in my tracks. My biggest take with this, and it does combine a little bit with the quarterback show on Netflix because Andy Reid said a lot of the same things and it kind of like tied together everything. But My biggest takeaway in terms of between these guys is I think the key difference between all of them and Kyle, you heard McVay talk about when he got to the Rams, he thought he was going to run a certain offense. He thought it was all about the system and the system will be proven right every time. But then he listened to his players and you heard Whitworth talk about how they came to him with certain things and certain ideas and they ended up running it and having success. And, and you heard McVeigh talk about how he had to change to fit his players. And that's why he ran, if I'm not mistaken, more 11 personnel rather than 12 with the three wide receivers, because that's what fit his team. And I think the listening to the players and adjusting the system to be the best it possibly can for the current players is a key difference between him and, and Kyle. Kyle does make some adjustments, but I think Kyle is very much like the system is everything. The system will will be what wins this game. So just do what I tell you and doesn't take as much input. And the little bit that I think adds credence to that is you heard the other coaches talk about, if you go to Kyle with an idea, you better know every last thing about that idea. And I think that's wrong because, you know, you might have a great idea, but you're not smart enough to know all, all the things about what the defense is going to do. Or, you know, if you're a wide receiver, bringing the idea, you might not understand what, what the, you know, right guard has to do in that. You know what I mean? So I I feel like having more of an open door saying, bring me your ideas and we'll flesh them out together. If it's not fully fleshed is how the other coaches are. And Kyle isn't. And Andy Reid in the quarterback show talked about how you, that he has always an open door. Any player can walk in there with an idea and they'll, they'll look into it and see if it's a good idea. And I forget exactly how he put it, but he said something about you have to let the players uh, kind of have some control or, you know, he didn't use those words. It was almost like the players have to be able to have fun at times. But he talked about that with, you know, Kansas City running the crazy plays where they sit and run around in a circle prior to lining up and stuff like that. That comes from the players and their ideas. So you see Andy Reid do it. 
You saw Sean McVay do it. I'm sure LaFleur did that with Aaron Rodgers because he talked about how, you know, it was uh, himself and Hackett and Rodgers. And when they sat, when he got hired, they sat down the three of them and they created the offense. So clearly Rodgers had a lot of say. And I just feel like that might be the key difference that's holding Kyle back. And that's a little bit of the Kyle ego where because he created the system and it's his system, he doesn't want to admit that maybe it needs to be a marriage where it's the system and the players and there's an ebb and flow to it. Yeah, Kyle, everybody has said that basically if you submit a play to Kyle, he's going to say, well, what if the defense does this? What if they do that? What if they do this? And if you don't have all those answers, he doesn't care. Get out. Yeah, get Get out. out. Yeah, which you're right. Like potentially you lose a lot of good ideas there for sure because you could have a good idea just if you don't have every single answer. That's kind of a crazy thing. And I think it goes along with when Kyle was in Washington. He told RG3, and this was RG3's part in this show was fascinating to me, I thought, because he had a lot of good stuff. But he told RG3, install a play, any play you want, any play you love, maybe something you love from Baylor, like pick it and install it. And RG3 picked one, drew it up, installed it, and it was a disaster and didn't really work. And then they ran it again, and it got a little better. And and RG3 was fighting for this play to get in. Finally, like they got it in, and, and RG3 made it work. And afterwards, Kyle pulled him aside and he was like, why did that, like, why did you, why did it work? And RG3 was basically like, because that was my play. I wasn't going to let us stop working on it until it was good because it was my play and I wanted it to work. And Mm -hmm. Kyle said, I feel that way about every single play that I run. And so what I thought was kind of like, it was a good way for him to get RG3 to see it from his perspective, but also Kyle wasn't actually interested in RG3's idea. He was just interested in telling RG3 why he's so mm-hmm. attached to the play. Like, why couldn't it be both, you know? Like, I thought that was a very telling thing. Yeah, and you know other coaches, they've talked about it in the past, that they're open to players coming to them with ideas because if a player comes to them with an idea, they have an extra emphasis on trying to make that work. They're obsessed with their idea succeeding so, and RG3 kind of touched on that a little bit, that he was wanting to make sure it worked more uh, more than normal because it was his baby, basically. Yeah. So I, I think something is lost there. Maybe Kyle will open up to that. And it could just be the fact that he's never had the quarterback that he wants. You know, he's never had a quarterback that he trusts and sees things the same way. Thus, he has not given that little bit of control to them to allow them to have the idea. And by the way, I did... I didn't notice. I had not thought of it. But when have we ever seen the turbo package in San Francisco? They talked about that a lot in this show. There, there was a good like 15, 20 minutes where they were talking about how they they used the turbo package a lot. And it had a lot of success. And Kyle used that excessively in uh, Atlanta the second year. And that's how they dominated because they were going so fast. It was like, I wonder if Kyle never felt comfortable doing that with Jimmy. And probably because for Jimmy, Jimmy couldn't diagnose things. We know that now Kyle had to kind of diagnose things and help him. And juice was calling out things for Jimmy pre-snap. So maybe Kyle didn't want to run a hurry up turbo package because they needed time for others to tell Jimmy, Hey, make these adjustments. Anyways, if he trusts Purdy or he ends up trusting Lance, if Lance is playing, I wonder if we see a return to that turbo package. I would love to see it. I mean, hell we saw in Atlanta last year. They were down by 14 points and there was something like six minutes left in the fourth quarter or five minutes and they were not going fast. And we're all sitting there like, what are they doing? So I would love to see it if it does come back. I would absolutely support it. What was your big take? Biggest takeaway other than McDaniels has an ego. Other than McDaniel has an ego. um, Kyle was talking about the Super Bowl and maybe this is the way they edited it together. But Jordan Rodriguez was narrating and she was talking about how they kept passing the ball in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. Now the Patriots are coming back and Kyle Shanahan, the comment that they played from Kyle Shanahan right after that part was my instinct is to be aggressive, but I better watch out for my instinct. You know, I always want to do the aggressive thing with maybe the conservative thing is smarter and I better watch out for that. Maybe I don't need to jump off this cliff is what he said. And to me, it was like, was was that the first actual admission from Kyle that he realized he screwed up in the Super Bowl? That he admits 
that he did something wrong. Because whenever he talks about it, to me, at least publicly, he's never seemed to admit fault. He's explained it, but he's never said I was wrong. He's explained why he did the things he did, but he never expressed any like doubt. But when you look at how conservative he is on fourth down, I wonder if he was scarred by that, what happened in the Super Bowl. So now he's like, hey, don't let your personality screw you here. Don't let your personality make the wrong call. So now he errs on the side of caution. I don't know how much of that scarred him. I wonder how much, you know, fourth down, third and short plays, those are a relatively small amount of the play calls. So he might think a lot of the play calls he makes throughout the game are more on the aggressive side. And thus he thinks he's more of an aggressive person. The problem is, is being aggressive in the fourth downs and things like that is like 99% of what determines whether or not you're an an aggressive go for type of coach or not. So it's a little bit misconstrued, but you did hear him at one point mention why would I, I, he was talking about when he ran all the time in, in the, in the 2019 playoffs. And how like he realized Minnesota couldn't stop it and he kept running. And he talked about how he didn't feel like he needed to pass to do anything. I forget exactly how he put it, but he was talking about how he knew that if it didn't work, the defense would go and stop them anyways. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a lot of it with San Francisco. He knows he has this dominant defense. So why risk? Why be aggressive when my defense says a higher percentage chance of stopping the only opposing offense than I have of converting. I think he kind of threw Jimmy under the bus there. Cause he says well, for the sure. quarterback throws a ball right to the linebacker and the linebacker yeah. dropped it. And I think I'm going to run this ball every bleeping yeah. play. And then he's like, and then it's we no did- secret that Kyle th- did not think a lot of Jimmy. I do think Cohn has a really good point on that. That maybe Jimmy was uh, John Lynch's guy the whole time. And Kyle was forced to stick with him as long as he did. Because but Kyle, then, Kyle has thrown him under the bus multiple times, just not by name. That's on Kyle, then. Like, you can't let yourself get saddled with the quarterback you don't play. I mean, Steve Young talked about that a lot, uh, about how he did not see the real kind of trust and relationship between Shanahan and Garoppolo that you need to have. He said last year he thought that maybe it was starting to form because Jimmy had cut down on some of his interceptions and stuff, but, but Young had talked about that repeatedly. And I think that Kyle's comments in this thing just showed that he did not have the faith in Jimmy Garoppolo. Right. Do you it's, think it's he a has... tough spot? If he moves on from Jimmy and it doesn't work, he lost the locker room and he's fired because Jimmy was really popular in the locker room. So I think that's part of the whole Lance thing was, hey, I can get the guy in the room to then show everybody, hey, we can move on from Jimmy. Now, it didn't work out that way, but I th- that, that it would be a really hard thing to be winning all these games and move on from Jimmy, right? But they they're the ones that got into bed with him in the first place. Like I I you almost can't blame them in retrospect. Like that was a no brainer trade. If but what if well the trade, but what if Jimmy had lost some of those games at the end of 2017, right? Then maybe Kyle has oh, for sure in his he has the ammo to say, you know what? Like I didn't see it. We weren't that impressed, whatever. And he would might have taken some criticism, but he wouldn't have taken a ton, especially if they had signed Kirk Cousins that offseason. Let's and, not forget that Jimmy pulled a fast one on him. Because that's been known now, too. Jimmy signed his big contract and then immediately went dark for multiple months. ghosted them. (laughs) So let's not forget that Jimmy, that was definitely pulling the rug. Hey, I'm here. I'm committed. You know, you got the Tom Brady 2.0 right here. I got my contract. See you when the season starts. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm trying to now apply, like, what from the playmakers, how can we think about this going forward? Well, Do you think that Kyle has the trust in Brock Purdy that maybe he didn't have in Jimmy Garoppolo? I think he does. We've heard some of the players and some of the national media talk about how Purdy and Kyle see the game the exact same way. Yes. Their minds work the same same way in terms of what they see on the field. And that, that would give Kyle the trust that he wants. Because I can call this and you're going to see it. Because that was another thing that kind of tr- – the. Um, Actually, I think that might have been the quarterback show. I wa- I watched the quarterback show when I wasn't listening to the podcast on the way to work, so they, they kind of melded together. And Kevin O'Connell, who's a McVeigh guy, was talking with about Kirk and how you just have to trust the system. Was that the play callers or was that? That was, I think, the quarterback. Right. So he's talking about how you have to trust the system, and even though that guy doesn't look like he's open, 
a second or two seconds into the play, trust that he will trust the system and make the darn throw because he will be open by the time he gets there. And I think that's what Kyle's looking for. And we've heard little things like Kyle's looking for somebody that doesn't think on the field, that just does. Because ultimately, Kyle thinks if you just do what I tell you, we're right. going to win. Right. And I think the problem with that is that when things don't go according to plan, when they don't go the way Kyle thinks they're going to, his quarterbacks are not going to be trained enough in actually reading a defense to compensate for that. And I think that's the big red flag. That's what scares me the most. And JT O'Sullivan kind of talked about that, how the 49ers straight drop back passing game. And it's, it's all progression. It's all just click, you know, one, yeah. two, three, and they don't get beyond that. There's like a ceiling almost with their development. And it sounds like that's what Kyle wants. And McVay talked about how he had to get past that about how he realized that the players have to compensate for that and you have to trust them to compensate for that. I don't know that Kyle has ever gotten there because I think Kyle just feels like it's never, no one's ever listened to me, so I haven't been proven wrong yet. I don't disagree, but that's where Purdy's escapability is so exciting because I think that's the difference. Kyle, nine times out of 10 is going to be right. Trust the damn system. Just trust the system. It's, it's the one out of 10 games where the game plan is just not working that you need a quarterback who can create, you know, diamonds out of crap, <laughs> basically. And Purdy did that a few times. There were multiple games where he had a touchdown or a huge play that came off a completely broken play that feels still Jimmy Garoppolo would have been a sack, maybe fumble, you know, series over. And instead he made something out of nothing and made this spectacular play. So I think that's what's most exciting for me about Purdy is, hey, if you want to trust Kyle every single play, I'm fine with that. And then the few times that it doesn't work, you might be able to get outside the pocket and create some magic. That's enough of a difference from Jimmy and an upgrade over Jimmy. And I've said this multiple times now to you that if that's all Purdy is, he's Jimmy 2.0, except for he can turn two or three sacks that would for Jimmy into positive gains because of his escapability per game. That's enough to win a Super Bowl sometime in the next year or two because. Jimmy wasn't terrible. He was just terrible when the play broke down. Yeah, he was terrible other times too. But I I agree with what you're saying. I think that's fair. Uh, I think that that's what Kyle would settle for at quarterback. Um, I thought that they really undressed Jared Goff. Like they flat out said, McVay was literally telling him what to do the ball every play. And then when Belichick did something, Belichick basically cracked the code. Goff couldn't do anything. And that's why they didn't score any points in the Super they, Bowl. They talked about how they couldn't do as much play action because Goff can't have his back to the defense because he takes too long to read a defense. So if he loses that time and has to refigure out where people are on the field, it's over. So they had to kind of go away from that to a certain degree so that his back wasn't to the defense as much. Yeah, Goff definitely was uh, put down quite a bit in this show. But I do have one other big takeaway, and I think this is the positive Kyle takeaway. Okay. Kyle is the genius, the architect, the other people, they might be very smart. They might be genius level themselves, but they are the understudies. They don't have the same degree. And I think this is the key difference. We heard so many people talk about Kyle sat in on the defensive meetings because he's going to learn the defense as well as the defensive people know it. And that's the key difference. Kyle knows everything. He truly does because he knows the defense. He is... To me, that that reminded me, and they talked about it a little bit in the show, of Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick is so damn good on defense because he knows exactly what the offense is going to try to do based on the way they line up and and watching film. He can go, okay, the offense does all these things. I know how they work, so I'm going to run this defense to stop it. Kyle does that offensively. He, He looks and he goes, this is how the defense works. These are their calls. This is how they adjust to everything. This is the offense I'm going to run this week. He's able to evolve and constantly change how the offense works in order to fit that particular opponent. I don't know that McVay is capable of doing the same thing. And I think that's why the Rams have started to struggle because it hasn't evolved as much as it needs to. And he lost, he lost the dominant running back. Yes. He won a Super Bowl without a dominant running back, but he saw that this past year, he didn't have the run game and because he didn't have the run game. He wasn't able to, to do much else offensively. Granted Stafford was hurt a lot, but, 
you don't get that excuse when Kyle kept the offense going through three quarterbacks and he kept the offense going in other years when he lost Jimmy and it was guys like Nick Mullins taking over. So, well, they talked a lot in the series about how much McVay had to adjust the offense because basically Belichick cracked the code in the Super Bowl and then everybody started doing what Belichick did and he had to change and evolve the offense. And finally, they got a better quarterback and it worked out for them. Uh, but again, McVay, I mean, struggling 11 and 5, 13 and 3, 9 and 7, 10 and 6, 12 and 5, and then last year, 5 and 12. So I would love those kind of struggles. You know, he had one bad well, year. It's all, it's all within. Uh, you know, context, but last year, McVeigh could not win with injuries. He got decimated by injuries, yes. and the team completely got obliterated. You don't see that to the same degree with Kyle. The, the offense for the Rams was crap last year. You, the offense didn't fall apart to the same degree with Kyle when he was having to start the Nick Mullins of the world. And I think that that is because Kyle is I guess you could say more diverse. He's capable of kind of going outside of the box of the system a little bit more. And we saw that they, you know, they flat out said it in the show that Kyle has changed the run game in San Francisco. It is not an outside zone run game. It is not the same system at all. The run game has completely changed for the 49ers since Kyle has been in San Francisco. The system hasn't changed with the Rams and they've been there the same amount of time. I think the system has changed with the Rams. Like they used to be centered around the run game and now they're, they were chucking the ball with Stafford more than anything. But I do think that Kyle is, he's this, I hate to sound like this, but I think they would tell you he's the smartest one of the bunch when it comes to like offense, breaking down a defense, knowing how to break a defense's rules. But they're all extremely super high level intelligence. Kyle, I, I, I don't know that it's IQ wise smarter. It's, the thing that you could never train. He grew up around a coach. It is ingrained in him. But he is able to and uh, articulate and see things as a coach right off the bat. He was. He doesn't see things as a player. He never did. But here's the thing: just because he's the smartest guy in the room, doesn't make him the best coach. That's. I don't I disagree. Don't it's very much in the air yeah, if he's the best yeah. coach. Yeah. I would say right now, McVay is better than him. To me, McVay is a better coach than Kyle Shanahan. He's only had, McVay's only had one down year. McVay's been to two Super Bowls. McVay has won a Super Bowl. McVay has the better resume. I would not say 100%. I, I truly don't know. I think they're very close. It's hard for me to say for sure McVay is the better coach when Kyle has had all these injuries and McVay finally had that level of injuries and his team stunk last year. McVay has their team has been extremely healthy under Sean McVay. They've been in the top 10 of healthiest teams almost before last year, every year that he was there. Uh, so that is definitely a factor for sure. But I just, I think that Kyle needs to work on his people skills. And again, I love Shanahan as a head coach, but if you're talking about like areas where he needs to improve, like McVay went out of his way throughout the play callers podcast series of, deflecting credit, sharing credit with the players, how the players overcame bad play calls, how they realized, what did Andrew Whitworth say? Andrew Whitworth said, McVeigh will paint the picture, but sometimes he lets you change the color. Yeah. Kyle, I don't think does, unless you can explain to him in perfect terms why that new color will be better than his original idea. Kyle might let you change the color, but he only gives you black and white. <sighs> Uh, yeah. You only got two choices. You, you don't get a change in, into any real true color and have any real you know vibrance or change to it. Look, I don't know that it's necessarily people skills because Kyle is, from what we can tell, loved in the locker room. It's really players love him. That's true. So I think he probably has people skills. It, it's how open he is to allowing others to help, which isn't necessarily people. It's part of people skills, but I think he can yeah. relate. To the That's players a good extremely well. I think he's just very much a closed door. I don't need any help. I can do it all. You know, he's not, he's that person that doesn't go, Hey, we can be better together. Two heads are better than one. Even if I end up doing 99% of it, that 1% you bring could be the difference. He's not open to other people having say. In That's the system. point. When I say he needs to work on his people skills, you're right. I was wrong because they do like him a lot and they play hard for him, 
But yeah, maybe in that just that one specific instance. I mean, I remember a comment that Jimmy Garoppolo made where they were like, hey, do you work with Kyle on like the game plan and stuff? He kind of laughed and he was like, yeah, Kyle pretty much handles the handles the install. And I, I especially think that if Kyle doesn't think that you're on the same level with him football wise, he doesn't want to hear from you. It's why he has such disdain for the media, because he's like, these guys don't know half as much about football as I do. And they're going to judge me. I don't think so. So if he doesn't think you're there, then he's like, get the hell away from me. So let's bring it back to the play callers because they never flat out said it in the show. But to me, it was alluded to a few times. And I got the sense that that was the truth. That even Matt Ryan wasn't trusted to a certain degree. Like Matt Ryan didn't get say in the system, which is they're coming in. It's a multiple pro bowler, best quarterback in the franchise's history. And Kyle still said, run the damn system, trust it, just make the throws. And we've heard Matt talk about how it took him a year in the system to truly understand. And I, it made me wonder while listening to this, if his understanding was coming to grips with, yeah, the system is best and I should just go ahead and trust and make the throws. And that was when they took off. It, it did make me wonder that, but I did get the impression that Matt Ryan didn't get a lot of say so into what the system was. And maybe he would have, the next year because he won the MVP in 2016 and then Kyle left to become the 49ers head coach. So maybe that year Kyle would have been like, okay, like he's, we're on the level now. There's a level of trust there. We don't know because obviously Kyle was gone and he's never had that level of quarterback play since then. What did you think of the RG three part of it? Cause I was fascinated by how they tried to prepare RG3 and prepare an offense for RG3. If you haven't heard the show, basically Kyle went back and was like, okay, I'm going to look at every zone read quarterback in the NFL and I'm going to watch every play for them for three years. And I'm going to see exactly how NFL defenses Mm -hmm. attack them. And then I'm going to come up with a counter to that, whatever the counter is. In this case, it was coming out of the pistol formation. And then He was like, how can we run our core concepts out of this pistol formation? And it turns out it worked very well together. And then they combine that with the concepts that RG3 was comfortable with in college at Baylor. And so what what happened was an offense that the NFL had never seen before that was not prepared to deal with. And they kicked the hell out of everybody. Kyle even said there was one play. They ran 80 times. They completed 65 of the passes for at least 20 yards of play. Like they were ahead of the game, but it was a perfect marriage of exactly how to accentuate the strengths of a particular player. In this case, the quarterback. And I couldn't help but wonder, is that the, was that the plan for Trey? Is that how he went about preparing to have Trey be quarterback. And I don't know. Maybe he's. Maybe That's he the did. thought I had when I was listening to that part. Cause we know, cause they said it, they had changed the system for Trey last year and they had to revert back to the old system when Jimmy had to come in. So we know the system was going to be fundamentally, fundamentally different with Trey. And I do think that Kyle was doing that to a certain degree. And we never really got to see it, unfortunately. And now maybe like, we do, maybe we don't. Well, that's another thing. So, like, if it's, let's say, you know, Brock comes back and, it again, it's looking like that. And then if he gets hurt again and Trey has to come in, you know, then is it like, oh, we got to switch again? And maybe, look, maybe Kyle has all that stuff ready. You know, it might all be ready again because he did it for 2022. So, who knows? But that's, yeah, that's definitely one of the hurdles. Uh, I want to get this mentioned in from Chillmatic, YouTube channel member. Shout out to you. Thank you for being a YouTube channel member. You can sign up for less than $3 a month. You get custom emojis, membership badges, priority comment response. Chill Maddox says, get that press pass, Levin. I'm rooting for you. You are trying to get a press pass to week one against the Steelers. Are you getting one? Your guess is as good as mine. They have oh. not responded to a single email. So good job, 49ers. Not a good sign. They're, not, they're literally not responding, which uh, that I'm, I'll be honest, that pisses me off. Like You, you should call you can say, hey, no, but... They literally had on their site for requesting press passes. If you're wanting a press pass for a road game, don't go through here. Email this person. And they listed the email. I emailed that person. I've double checked to make sure I got the email correct from our 
gold standard account. You know, it wasn't my personal email. It was a gold standard account. And it's been three weeks, I think now, and hasn't been a, a single reply back. So that's just awesome. I'm going to, I've been meaning to get it done, but I've been working every day. I, I'm going to just go through the Steelers and try to put in a request. Mm. Maybe call this person on the phone. I'll get you their number. And then you can call them on the phone and just flat out say, I've emailed multiple times. What the hell? Yeah. Also, special announcement from me. I have figured it out. So I will be at Levi's in person, Niners, Cowboys this year. It'll be my first NFL game. It'll be my first Niners game. I'm super pumped about it. Lucky you. I'm not going to lie. I'm jealous. Yeah. Let's go. Shout out to you're going to be uh, attending with our uh, buddy there that offered or, or how'd you get in? Yeah. So Benjamin bear, and I hope I'm saying his last name, right? Literally said, I have tickets. I'd love to have you come to a game. So he is hooking me up with the tickets. Me and a buddy of mine. I really appreciate that. Shout out to you. That's incredible. I owe you a beer, at least, at least one beer. And uh, I'm super excited about it. Cause like I said, never been to a, an NFL game, never been to a Niner game. So I'm, Looking forward to, you know, usually when I go to a game, I'm in the minority, right? It's always a road game for all my teams, and I'm never among my people. And now I'm going to be among the people, among the faithful at Levi's. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's cool that his offer was accepted, Rob. Yeah, what do you mean? I offered to let you come to a game. Come on now. Yes, you did. But I'd have to buy the tickets, and guess what? Those tickets ain't cheap, yeah, man. I I, I honestly don't know that I will go to the game if I don't get a press pass because one, I'll be honest, I want to do the damn instant reaction on week one. Uh, I know, me too. It's been a long time. But two, like, this game is insane. I, I, I texted you. I went to the Minnesota game a couple of years ago because I used to live out that way. I spent, uh, it was $350 for second level, right up 50 seats, 350 total for two tickets. This game, the cheapest ticket to get in is about $250. Wow. It's like one of the last rows in the entire stadium. To get equivalent tickets to what I spent $350 total on, I'm looking at $800, $900 minimum. <laughs> and to me, it's like, okay, at that point, I would rather stay home and get to do the instant reacts and all that. Like, I want to go, but it is different. If it was a home game, that would be different. I've attended one home game before Candlestick closed. And I've attended, like, I think it's four road games I've attended. And it is different. It's not nearly as nice. When you're you're the road team, it's, I don't know, it's just not, it's not the same. You don't get to worry about how much I'm cheering and all that stuff. Like, I don't, I don't really worry about that. I'm not an obnoxious guy anyways when I'm watching, but it's just, you don't, you don't get the same, you know, infusion of energy when you have, you know, 60,000 out of 70,000 fans in a stadium all going crazy and cheering at the same time as you. It's just not, it's not the same uh, energetic atmosphere when you're on the road. So part of me is like, do I really want to spend a grand going <laughs> to a game? Is it worth it to me? I don't know that it is because my daughter's not really old enough to go. So then it's, you know, if my daughter was of age, you know, if she was like even like five, six years old, truly old enough. She's only three. I, I would be spending the money. But at this point, unless I get a press pass, I'm probably going to stay home. Yeah, and I get that. Look, it's, you, these games are crazy expensive. Shout out to this Dan. This game is crazy expensive. Other Steelers, it's the most expensive Steelers game of the last few years. Literally, it's more expensive than the Ravens games that they that's, have. Every that's day. wild. Shout out to Dan, by the way. Just became a YouTube channel member. Thank you very much, Dan. We greatly appreciate it. Shades of Idiocy on my Twitch page, at Stats on Fire. Maryland area Niner fan here. Score tickets to the Philly game in December. It's going to be rowdy, to say the least. That's going to be such an insane environment. I kind of want to go to that game. My wife and I have been been talking about making a Philly trip because we haven't yet. You know, I live in Pittsburgh. It's still uh, like four hours, four and a half hours drive. So it's not it's not uh, a short drive, Uh, but we haven't made it to Philly yet. But Philly fans and the fact that if I'm going all the way there, it means I have my three year old kid with me. Yeah, I don't want in that stadium with a three year old. That is going to be, and especially because the freaking Philadelphia Eagles players can't shut up about how slippery the field was in the Super Bowl. Every time this they- is hilarious because what if you remember Veterans Field was like by far the worst field for decades in the NFL. Now they finally got an improvement, but 
the old Philly stadium. <laughs> it's just rich that Philly now is complaining about field conditions. But like every time they complain about the field conditions, I feel like it almost makes that Niner game more important because they told the Niners to shut up about the NFC championship game. And especially the fans told the Niners to shut up about it. And yet here you are still complaining about the field in the Super Bowl that affected both teams. Whereas what happened in the Niners only affected the Niners and benefited the Eagles. So that game is going to be, I can't even imagine if you're going to that game, shades of idiocy, you can't wear Niners stuff. Like I literally would fear for your safety. Wearing no, you just don't bring a kid, <laughs> but I want to bring it back. What there's one more thing that we had heard. I don't think it's ever been 100% confirmed. Maybe it has. And I just don't remember exactly, but the very first episode was very enlightening into the process of the Rams hiring McVeigh. And mm -hmm. that's because Les Snead was part of this. And he talked in depth about the entire process with McVeigh. But the part that stood out is that they went in to that uh, hiring process, assuming that it would be Kyle Shanahan that they hired. But because they won and made the Super Bowl, and we have, I've heard that before, but I've never heard it, I don't think, from Les Snead, that because Atlanta won and made the Super Bowl, they weren't able to interview until after the Super Bowl. And by then they had already interviewed McVeigh multiple times and they were pretty set because, you know, he had impressed so much. That to me is like, imagine the change that the NFC West would have seen if Atlanta just didn't make that Super Bowl. Kyle Shanahan would have been in St. Louis or would, <laughs> St. Louis, would have been with the Rams in St. Louis at that time. Would have McVeigh have made it to the 49ers? I highly doubt it because we know that Jed York's, uh, goal was to get a coach and let the coach pick the GM. I don't think he would have done that with McVay. I don't think McVay would have had uh, a chance at the Niners job. Well, the Niners interviewed McVay. Like, so that was a thing that happened also. Uh, but that is a real thing. The fact that you can't interview the coaches, coaches get left behind because of the success mm -hmm. that their current team has. Uh, literally, I remember a story that Kevin Gilbride told the old offensive coordinator he was with the Giants, I believe, when the Giants were making one of their playoff runs with Eli. And they had won a playoff game, I think. And he's literally on the phone after the game. He's on the phone with another team. And they say, Kevin, we want to hire you, but we don't want to wait. And you guys are still in the playoffs, so we can't hire you. So we're hiring somebody else. So that is definitely a thing that happened. They also said there was a snowstorm or something. So they couldn't interview Kyle Shanahan in person. Mm -hmm. And Kyle didn't want to do a zoom interview, which yeah. I thought that was really interesting. And kind they of got stuck in, I, I think it was Buffalo. Was it not? Or was uh, it, Boston? Yeah. it was Boston. It was Boston. They I got stuck remember. in, they got stuck in Boston due to a snowstorm. And they reached out to Kyle and said, Hey, we can still do a zoom interview. And Kyle said, no, I, I don't have an interest in doing a video interview. We'll do it in person. And by then it was, it was too much. Well, then yeah. by then they won the game. And they made the Super Bowl, and then you can't, you're not allowed to do interviews during that two week period of the Super Bowl. Yeah. They had their window and it got ruined by a snowstorm. How much would that have changed things? I mean, it would have changed things probably drastically for all franchises. But I just, I really enjoyed that beginning part with Les Snead talking about the whole situation. Cause I also, I never knew that the owner of the Rams, Kroenke, let Marshall Falk have so much sway in the so that's exactly That stuck out. He said that he made McVeigh meet with Falk and Falk had to sign off on McVeigh being hired or they would not hire him, period. Even though Les Snead had already told Kroenke that's the guy to hire. So that's what I was just going to get to next. This was a fascinating part of it because I don't think people remember. McVeigh got hired at 31. His first season with the Rams, he was 31. And so they were really questioning, like, can we do this? Is he going to be able to command the room and get the respect of these players, some of whom are literally going to be older than he is? So they had Marshall Falk take him out to dinner and basically, like, kind of put him through the ringer a little bit and see, like, does he hold up? What does Marshall think of him? How would he Marshall think he's going to do in the room? And Falk told them, like, if you let this guy leave without hiring him, you're out of your mind. And so that definitely sold them on him. And he was absolutely right. Speaking of absolutely right, one, uh, when you respond in the chat here, uh, it apparently types three times and shows up even as you, even though it's clearly me that responded. But uh, yeah, uh, absolutely right. This one, totally right. This one, totally right. Why are you throwing up 
crazy chat comments. Your, your power, you're you're abusing your power that you have to throw up some of the chat comments. Uh, before we before we uh, wrap this up, I did want to get to one more comment that I had starred. Niner by nature, eighty-eight. I'm hearing a lot that Trey is looking quote different, which is true. We've heard that from multiple sources. Let's see if it translates on the field. Rob, are you going to training camp? So I am not going to training camp, but we are going to have boots on the ground for the Gold Standard Network because. Jason Aponte and Steph Sanchez are going to training camp. So we will have, you know, did they get tickets? I believe I have heard that that is a big thing this year that I saw, um, uh, planking on his name. Jeez. The SF Niners, uh, Brad Graham. Graham. He was saying that he's never had this difficulty getting, uh, tickets because I guess the Niners didn't announce everybody was waiting on, on them to announce, Hey, tickets will be available now. And Mm -hmm. instead they just said, Hey, tickets are available in 10 minutes. So a whole bunch of these content creators that wanted to get tickets are having issues and they're being resold for like almost $200 on some of these places. (laughs) Okay. I could be, I haven't heard about that, but I know like that Jason and Steph have already booked their flights. So maybe I'm just assuming that, uh, that they're going, but I'm they're under the impression that they are going to be there. So we will have boots on the ground. I know there's a lot of people out there, Larry Kruger, that takes issue with out-of-state content creators covering the team. Well, guess what? We'll be there. So everybody can calm down with that. And I'm fascinated to see what they say. I love it when they're there. I love it when they can give us their thoughts from camp. But I just want to let everybody know that that's a thing that's going to be happening. Yeah, it'll be really exciting to know if Trey Lance has made that step and can star for another team. <laughs> oh uh see, i know i'm being a cynic but there's a much better chance that he never gets to play for the niners again than there is a chance to play for the niners in my opinion because Purdy's likely to be healthy and Purdy will likely play well enough that he doesn't get the job back sheldon salazar thank you very much for the super chat just wanted to say what's up before you guys are done i'll listen to this tomorrow while at work but appreciate all you guys do thank you very much sheldon we appreciate the support uh, we love doing this, so we'll be here for you. We're not going anywhere. We're gonna have, sh- we're gonna ramp up the shows. 49ers and five is gonna come back next week because training camp starts in earnest. Training camp starts next week, so we have like made it through these dark times for the most part. So we're gonna be ramping up the coverage. 49ers and five is gonna be back every day for you. Are, are you sure the dark times are over? Because we're probably looking at a preseason of debating. Oh, did Trey Lance look better in in the preseason game, or did Sam Darnold? I'm fine with that. I don't care as long as we have actual stuff to talk about. Because I remember doing the instant reaction show with you. I I think it was either you or Javi, or maybe both. Trey Lance's first preseason game against the Packers when he throws that 80 yard touchdown pass to Danny Gray, and I remember. You can go look on YouTube, the views for that. There was almost 9,000 views for that show because we were all pumped up, right? Holy crap. Here comes Trey. Look at that touchdown. Danny Gray is going to kick everybody's ass. And I'm here for it, man. I need actual stuff to break down on the field, even if it's just preseason. Like, I need it now. I don't want to deal with reports from national insiders and having to break down what that means and reacting to press conferences by Niner people. Like I want to be able to see with my own eyes and make my own judgments. Who gets the first snap at training camp? Uh, Well, so, okay. David Lombardi was saying today that he thinks they're going to put Brock on the pup list that it's possible that he could go on, which is different than the regular season. If right. uh, they could take him off the pup list whenever they wanted to, when, if they do it during camp. But if, if that, assuming that happens, uh, I think that Sam gets it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I go back and forth on that. It should absolutely be Trey Lance. Yes, it should. But I feel like Kyle wants to quiet that fire. So he's, he can quiet that fire by giving Sam the first rep. You mean by giving Trey a first rep? No. If he gives Trey the first rep, people are going to go, ooh, Trey is above Sam. He really is competing for the starting jump. If he gives Sam the first rep, they go, yeah, see, Trey's not even second string. We'll see. It'll be telling. Although he'll probably just say, yeah, we'll switch it up the next day. Uh, Will watching on my Twitch page. Can't wait for the Sam Darnold storylines at the start of the season. That could be a thing, too. But whatever. Like, at least it's a real it's an update to the situation. Right. Like, give me just give me something new. And we're, and we're almost there. 
the rookies have reported already. They're going to be doing workouts and stuff. Nothing major. I did see that Darrell Luter was on the pup list. Who knows what that, you know, that's not a great start to his 49ers tenure, but whatever. Hopefully he can be off there quickly. And uh, we're through it, man. We are through it. The season is beginning and it starts next week. Thank you so much to everybody for who hopped in the chat. I know it was kind of like an impromptu broadcast, but again, we wanted to do it. The audio version of this show is going to come out tomorrow. Uh, I'm not going to be able to do a live show with Grant tomorrow because he's getting his kitchen remodeled and uh, it'll be too loud to do a live show. Somebody's so. rolling in it. <laughs> got that YouTube money, Grant. Hey, got that YouTube dough. Uh, so this, the audio version of this will come out tomorrow. Uh, obviously the, this version of video version will be on YouTube and like, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Everybody, we greatly, greatly appreciate it. Again, if you missed some of the Mike McDaniel stuff that came out of the play caller series, you can go to the new website, goldstandardniners.com. That's N I N E R S.com. I pulled out all the quotes. You can decide for yourself uh, what you think of them. But in case you don't really feel like going through five episodes of uh, the podcast series, we, we try to make things easy for you. Levin. I'll talk to you tomorrow. We got a tape for the uh, for our actual show tomorrow. Yeah, two days in a row. Lucky me. Can you, you say that? <laughs> you wanted to be a part of this show tonight, so don't complain. Because I thought it was going to be Vish. I had a planner coming on and saying, Vish, I finally get to talk to you. I don't have to talk to that guy. Mm-hmm. I see how it is. I'll give you Vicious' number. You can text him. Maybe you guys can do your own show. Anyway, thank you, everybody. We appreciate it. Like and subscribe to the channel, as always. We'll see you later.